They were called nasties and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect dogs as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen a video, mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film. Hi everyone and welcome to Doing the Nasty Podcast. This is season two, episode number ten, I think. Always look at Mark for this. Yes, this is October the second episode. Yeah, I should remember these things in that the months <laughs> should marry, but I never do. I never do. And at this point, I think it's an, a running gag with the show, so I will just never know the episode number, and you will always keep me right. It kind of feels like an extension of the Midnight Horror Show, which I think was also the same thing where you had to keep everyone right on what episode number it was. A big memory of that, so uh, we're just going to keep that rolling here. Uh, so this is episode number ten. Of the series, uh, thus far it has been a mixed bag to say the least. Um, a couple of absolute fucking howlers discussed so far, uh, and a couple of legitimately good movies that I think both of us feel fairly high on life on. So, um, rolling into this one, Mark, at the at the coming into episode ten, Mark. Um, you must have been kind of thinking this episode in particular where you've got two movies that I'm safe to say you hadn't seen either before is that right? Uh, no I'd seen neither of these so like were you kind of thinking oh no <laughs> uh, I'm I, better Lindsay and a movie about killer pigs <laughs> yeah I didn't uh, I had no idea what to expect from pigs for sure it's got like such a badass I, I, I think I impulse bought that one from Vinegar Syndrome just because the cover is so fucking rad it just looks like a fucking like gore metal album cover like Cannibal Corpse or something <laughs> Uh, so I had no fucking clue what to expect with that one for sure. Mm. Uh, Len- Lindsay Cannibal movie. I hate to say it, but I kind of knew what I was getting myself into, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what I got. Yep, yep. Sometimes, sometimes there is the safe, warm, you know, bosom embrace of uh, I know exactly what to expect from this director, and he delivers exactly what I expected, uh, whether that be good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, yeah, we're doing uh, Pigs from 1973 and Eaten Alive, not to be confused with the Toby Hooper movie of the same name from 76. This is 1980. This is the movie he made right before he made Cannibal Ferox. This came out the same year as Cannibal Holocaust. But you might be wondering when you're about 10 minutes into this movie, this score seems familiar. That's right, because he used the same score in Eaten Alive that he did in Cannibal Ferox just to save money and just for the lols. Um, yeah, that's what we've got lined up here. Uh, this will be really genuinely quite interesting because we've had a little off, uh, off-air conversation where um, I stated that the viewing of Eaten Alive this time was better for me than the previous time. So I, I'm interested to see what your just initial take is on, on this one. Um, this is the second episode that listeners are getting within the month of October. This is us now back on track as of this episode. It feels good. Reunited and it feels so good. 
So that is how we're going to get back on time. Back on time. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but we've, to say we have not been doing things would be uh, a dismissive understatement, to say the least. Um, we, we've been up to some things. We've been watching some movies. Anything notable that you'd like to mention up front before we get into our regularly scheduled programming? Fuck, dude. I've, I've seen an insane <laughs> amount of good shit. It's been like... <clears throat> That's what's going to be weird about tonight is I watched Pigs uh, just shy of two weeks ago from today. And I think mm. I've seen like I would, I've watched like a dozen fucking movies at this point, like between now and then. Uh, Telluride Horror Show was in the middle of this. I saw about eight new features for that. Uh, lots of good stuff. Lots of Canadian stuff. I think like almost all of those movies were Canadian made features. There was one or two that wasn't. But uh, yeah, Canada whipping some ass when it comes to horror movies this year. <laughs> Uh, especially fucking Possessor, oh. like, one of the best movies of the year, holy oh, shit. Oh, that movie, man, honestly. I, I, I mean, is it is it safe, do we feel like we're jumping the gun, but is it safe to say, I mean, this is Brandon Cronenberg's second fucking movie, right? And I think he's already putting out stuff on par with, like, good stuff his dad put out. You know, I mean, is it safe to say that we could potentially see a time period where Brandon Cronenberg's on movie number five or six and he's bested his dad? I mean, I think so. The the Possessor was such a fucking revelation to me. I knew, like, everyone that had seen it had told me I would like it. And I always take that with a pinch of salt because what the the fuck does that mean? Um, And I really liked, is it Antiviral, his previous one? I really liked that movie. I thought it was a very clever movie, but it felt like it was stepping on the toes of the old man, so to speak. It did feel very much like a, an idea that you would see from a David Cronenberg movie, just modernised. Right. Um, Possessor, though, uh, you know, it, the kind of futuristic concept, the... I mean, there is a kind of Scanners vibe about it, but the futuristic concept, the execution, and just the flat-out violence of that movie... Like easily one of the most violent movies I've seen in a while in terms of the camera just not shying away and the practical violence on screen. Uh, there's a scene with a poker in that movie that <laughs> I have never, in a long time, my hand flew up to my mouth and I was just like, oh my fucking, like audibly, oh my fucking God, when I was watching it. Just horrific, but excellently cast, oh, beautifully fucking shot. Um... A really great original feeling story, and at the same time, oh, the score was phenomenal. That just everything, and when it finished, I just I felt that the first time this year that I feel that something has come close, if not usurped Saint Maud from the top of my list of horror movies this year. Because uh, Saint Maud's been sitting pretty comfortable, pretty high since I saw that back in March. And nothing's really kind of got all that close. And then Possessor come out, and I watched that, and I was like, two completely different movies. Couldn't be any more different if they tried. Um, but I did feel myself kind of going, uh, <laughs> the end of this year's going to fucking suck. Did St. Maud actually like come out in theaters over there? Because so, I don't think it did here. It's still, it, got, it's, it has been released in the UK for whatever reason. And what, two weeks before the big, in fact, the no, in fact, it was the week the big supermarket, uh, supermarket, uh, the big um, cinema chain in the UK closed. Um, right. But yeah, we still have cinemas open over here and St. Maud has played. So it, it is officially, I mean, I saw it as part of Fright Fest. 
So, um, and it was supposed to come out in April. <laughs> That's when that movie was originally supposed to come out. It's finally been released in October, a limited screening, and I believe they pulled the American date altogether for this year. So yeah. I don't think you guys are getting it this year. Um, and at this stage now, you know, with A24's now stacked, you know, back catalogue of movies still to come out, I, I think I think they would be best just putting it out for streaming at this at this rate. You know, get it out um, and try and do something with it rather than hold off what well, could be potentially almost a year from when it was originally supposed to come out and then it finally makes its way out in America seems backwards, I think. Yeah, so. yeah. I saw it. I'm really glad I saw it at Fantastic Fest mm. last September, so that's like over a year ago yeah. now that I saw it. It's it's really, really good, but yeah, uh, don't go to the theater to see it right, right now. At least not in America. Holy shit, shit's fucking wild out here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everything is bad. Yeah, it's, it's getting, to be, to be honest, the UK is pretty much like starting to to lock everything back down pretty hard. Um wow. so we're we're um we're we're doing the kind of micro version of what a lot of other countries are doing in terms of we'll just lock down an entire city and that's it. Um so yeah things are things are looking a bit shaky here. Uh, so yeah I'm I'm we I'm very glad that I saw Saint Maud um at Fright Fest. Um glad that a lot of people that I know got out to see it in the UK uh, when it did its kind of small run, I think it's still out uh, at the moment, because like, there's very few films actually out at the moment, so I think it's still in cinemas, so if you have to drive to go and see it and you can guarantee a safe viewing experience, you should do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's there, there's already, not that I think it has a date, but I've already pre-ordered the, the kind of 4K steelbook release that one of the retailers is doing over here so that's what I'm saying I, I mean if this movie is released physically in the UK before it's released cinematically in the States it'll be up on torrent sites before you can see Saint Maud so I mean like to me from their point of view I'd take the hit and release it digitally in the States knowing that it's going to make its way into streaming sites but at least you've got the option uh, yeah. as opposed to it's available online for me to you know to rip and watch because it's not available at all you get into that argument about remember remember that werewolf movie where um yeah which was available i think it was available everywhere i think it was available everywhere and that's a french movie it was available everywhere except the uk for the longest time which made no sense so by the time it was released in the UK, it had been ripped to fuck. <laughs> so, you know, I think I'd seen it twice by the time it actually became available in the UK. So it's that, it's that kind of fine balancing act. But um, Possessor is getting a UK release in November. I saw it as part of um, the London Film Festival, the BFI. Uh, sponsor that but the BFI also have a player which is the British Film Institute for those not from the UK uh, they have a player as well and they did quite a few screenings um, directly on their player uh, so yeah. I purchased a ticket sat in my living room uh, and allowed myself to be horribly shocked as the violence washed <laughs> over me oh my that knife stab right at the beginning no more spoilers but that knife stab right at the beginning is so fucking violent that I actually just went I don't know if I'm ready for this. <laughs> you know, yeah. Went away, got myself a whiskey, came back down, sat down, and I'm glad I poured the whiskey. Um, yeah, it really fucking good though. Really, 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 really good. And uh, I will own that 4K. 
UHD Blu-ray. I will own it, Mark. I will own it. Do you have? Is there the autumn thing for Fright Fest going on right now? As we are recording right now, uh, Fright Fest are doing their. This is the weird thing. So Fright Fest are doing. They usually do like a mini Fright Fest over. like usually about close to Halloween as possible and it runs for a couple of days um, and they've decided to do it again digitally because um, they did the, the actual festival itself proper digitally back in August this is like the second Fright Festy sort of thing um, right. once again locked to the UK so you can't see you can't view it if you're not in the UK and Northern Ireland um, right. so that you know it's all locked in and, and all the rest and it's running right now and some of the titles I've already seen because I've been asked to review them for American companies. So, um, and some of them are available really soon over here. So, some of them are titles that are about to be released in the UK. So, that's what they tend to do. Like a movie like Relic, for example, is released here. I want to say it's Friday it comes out properly to buy, um, but they played it at Fright Fest as part of this thing. So, like a week in advance. So. Um, so yeah, that's running right now. But I, once again, I'm reading a lot of things online about there being issues with some of the audio, some of the streaming, and all the rest. So I think you know they'll need to to work out how they're going to do that because I can't imagine things are going to be back to normal when Fright Fest Glasgow happens, which would be March. I still think we're going to be in a, a kind of ropey position then for let's pack a cinema full of people. Um, yeah. So I think they'll need to they'll need to double down on that and work out what they want to do. Plus, I think if they were smart, they would just do them both. You know what I mean? I, to me, there it makes sense from a fright face point of view of giving the option for those that want to attend the festival proper attend the festival proper and those that want to watch it online watch it online I, like, I, I don't understand in this day and age why you would why you would narrow the traffic so much with that with the technology being available to do both those that want to have the experience of taking it in with a crowd of people allow them to do that but those that don't allow them to watch it at home I, I, to yep. me that's that's just good business sense and I'm hoping that even post the lockdowns and stuff that is a decision that they decide to take especially now that they have infrastructure there um, you know because it just allows people to, to take part because not everyone can afford to travel from London up to Glasgow to spend three days watching movies and not everyone can afford to go from Scotland down to London for five days you know what I mean to, to watch movies it's not it's not always easy and I imagine it's, it's kind of you know from an American point of view, that's that's even more pertinent. Not everyone can afford to travel across your country um, to attend the film festival for five days. But if that option's there, that you can buy a pass, maybe at a slightly reduced rate because you're not taking up a seat or anything like that, um, and you're not having that experience, but to stream the movies from the comfort of your own home, why would you not want to do that? Uh, yeah, definitely as the consumer, that's uh, that would be super ideal because uh, that's the only way I could have possibly afforded to have seen all the movies that I did this year from, yeah. you know, like Chattanooga to Fantastic Fest to Telluride to Chattanooga's doing another thing here coming up on Halloween. There'll be like a quick two-day thing and it's mm. like, uh, I live in bumfuck Wyoming in the <laughs> middle of the country. Couldn't possibly be further away from basically everything. So, yeah, even just, like, going down to Denver to do stuff like this is eight hours round-trip drive, which, uh, especially right now when it's, like, eight degrees out and there's fucking snow on the ground, it kind of sucks to be able to 
uh, try and do stuff like that. So yeah, the digital option is real good for people like me. Doesn't that also give you? A, I, I was also thinking about this. Like every festival has its own flavor. You know what I mean? Like the people that curate these festivals have a specific taste. Like in Scotland, we have both the Fright Fest Glasgow, but we have Dead by Dawn uh, as well. And Dead by Dawn's in Edinburgh, Fright Fest is in Glasgow. They come about two months apart. Um, couldn't be any more different experiences if you fucking tried. Like, could not be. Like, they, they, the, way they, the way both sides book their movies couldn't be any different if they tried. So, to me, sometimes, especially when you're dealing with an, a, like a country like America with all these film festivals everywhere, allowing people to experience something digitally and get a feel and a vibe for the sort of movies that are selected... I think would encourage you to maybe travel out the next time. So if Chattanooga lands and you watch it and you really like the way they selected their movies and the diversity and all the rest, you know, when that becomes available to the public again, you might want to travel to Chattanooga to take it in, in, you know, in person because you really like the way they've selected their movies. Whereas if you attend a festival which is near you because it's the only one that's near you and they're pretty shitty at picking movies, um, but that's all you've got... You know, there's a dim side of that as well. So I, I, I think that's always a, it's always good to get an idea and a flavour for how people book things because everyone's tastes are different. And I, I think the option festivals try and cater to a huge taste to begin with, but there is that hump of it's what you know one person or a committee of people or how many it is that have to make those film selections first for what plays at that festival. Um, so you get that idea as well. It's been really interesting. I think, like, just overall, it's been really interesting seeing how people have just, like, we need to do something, we need to get these movies out there. Because my, my concern was that when they closed things like South by Southwest, I was like, well, that's the death nail for, like, pretty much all these excited new releases that we would expect in the summer and to the later part of the year because yeah. that's where it all kicks off South by Southwest is the firing you know pistol for the, right, the market machine is about to kick in gear for all the movies for genre fans specifically that you need to look out for for the rest of the year and the fact yep. other festivals have just been like no we're just going to continue on and we're going to push through this um, and we might, we might not be able to screen the you know titles from the bigger studios or anything like that that would generally play there but there's still plenty of fucking content out there so um, I thought I found that really interesting and heart, I, I, on some level quite heartening that you know everything hasn't fallen off a fucking cliff uh, you know what I mean although next year I'm, like people are moaning just now about like the, the, I, my favourite thing is the people are like well next year's horror lineup's going to be amazing because of all the 2021 releases and all the 2020 releases uh, have been pushed back I'm like maybe. I'm like no because anything that's been pushed back from 20 20 to 2021 now has a knock-on effect to those 2021 titles are most likely going to happen 2022 um because like warner brothers are not going to market and release you know 20 horror movies next year ain't going to fucking happen as much as i no. want it to happen ain't going to fucking happen they're going to stagger that out so everything that's been delayed off to next year is now taking the spot of something that was supposed to come out that year by that studio all they've done is shunted it down so yeah, well, I think I think people are maybe not grasping that that if a movie's pushed back to next year, that's not an addition to your next year's viewing. That is coming at the spot, unless you're a small studio and you can afford to do it. That's coming at the spot of something where the studio already had something put in place, a window that they already had carved out. That movie's now been pushed back even further. So, 
Um, and yeah, we'll wait and see. I'm still not sure. <laughs> I'm still not sure things are going to be back to normal by the nah. time that they're talking about things in April and all the rest. I really don't think we're going to be back there. Uh, I'm highly no sceptical. Yeah, no one's going to release a massive blockbuster. This is the conceit. This is the, the, the unfortunately, the, the situation, the Catch-22, uh, the between the rock and the hard place that cinemas are stuck in. Cinemas need, in their opinion, need the big titles to generate the average footfall that they need to come in to keep their businesses running. Studios will not release their big movies that they've already said, well, this one's going to take in one billion according to our projections. They're not going to release it into limited capacity where they're not going to get nearly that amount of money. So that's your impasse there. We're not going to be able to break that unless what cinemas do is say, well, right, James Bond isn't being released this year. However, we do have these, you know, five, six other movies that are coming out. What we'll do is we'll close the big, big, big screens and we'll just put all these in the smaller screens and we'll make like people that want the cinema experience will attend and come and check it out um, and that keeps those businesses going hopefully over time people get more accustomed and more comfortable attending the cinema and as they do that they can open bigger screens which gives uh you know a grounding for larger movies to be released but until they break that ain't gonna fucking happen like, a studio has enough in the reserves right now that they can sit back and hold on to a James Bond or a new Candyman or whatever it is. They can hold on to those films for a while. Um, t- cinemas can't. Like, cinemas need need money or they go Yeah. Out. So, it's horrible. But someone something has to give first. Um, and sadly, it's going to... In my opinion, studios have to give first. They have to just take the hit. This Bond movie's not going to make as much. Um, but we need to get it out there. And I think The Tenant, the um, the film by uh, Nolan, Christopher Nolan, I think that's what's spurred all this on because it, it woefully underperformed. And the reason it did is, like, cinemas were capped on how many people they could allow in. It wasn't as if it was playing to empty screenings. It was playing to full screenings of how many people could get in. Yeah, I think it made yeah, an opening weekend of like a hundred grand or something, yeah. something horrible. Like if this movie would have come out last year, yeah, it probably would have been like a near billion dollar grossing oh, yeah. movie, I would guess. And this yeah. year it made a hundred grand. So I think studios got real cold feet when that shit happened. And they're like, oh, we are, we are in like real deep shit here. I think what's also interesting is, and I know we have slightly different opinions on this, but what's been really interesting is this has been a year without superhero movies. Yep, which I, honestly I'm kind of okay with. I, <laughs> right, that's I cool. Think it's, I think it's okay that, like, especially after like uh, Avengers Endgame and uh, Infinity War, it's it's yeah. okay that that was a big fucking deal. It's okay to let it cool down a little bit and yeah. maybe kind of start fresh when things are different. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that one. I kind of felt like at the end of that we should have had like a year's break, but they were already here's the next phase. <laughs> I was like, oh I'm, god. I'm, I'm kind of bummed that the uh, Matt Reeves Batman movie isn't coming out until 2022 now. That yeah. looked really interesting to me. Yeah, I, I, we'll still get the thing is we'll still get it. It's just we have to wait longer for it. I think that's the, yeah. the, the the only downside is all these movies that are being shot and have been shot will see the light of day. It's just when and where that we we, we really need to kind of double down on. But um, interestingly enough. 
Mark, as a kind of uh, inverted segue, if you can do such a thing. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't advise it. Uh, let's talk about a couple of movies which. Well, let's be honest, the distributors wanted you to see. <laughs> like, we're desperately wanting yes, they to put them out over multiple runs in theatres <laughs> under multiple names. Yeah, they desperately wanted you to see this, but a handful of pricks um, had decided that because it was Section 3, if they found it in a shop, it could be confiscated and burned. Um, we are, of course, talking about our two movies for Doing the Nasty tonight. We are going to jump in first and talk about pigs. Right, yes. Pigs. Um, hey Pig that's a Nine Inch Nails song um, <laughs> have no fucking clue what's going on uh, yeah we're going to talk about Pigs we're going to take a short break you're going to hear promos but no you're not um, we're going to take a short break and you're going to hear learned gentlemen or women discuss why they think this movie may have ended up on the old uh, <laughs> the old chop block and then you're going to hear the trailer when we return we are going to be discussing Pigs right after this Pigs Nice punchy title. A film that's had a great many titles, not all as punchy as that. It's been called a variety of things from Daddy's Deadly Darling to The Strange Exorcism of Lynn Hart with the addition of an entirely spurious exorcism scene at the beginning, which was apparently added because the distributor at the time didn't like the incest theme that the film's got and took away the first five minutes, which makes that clear. But yes, it's, uh, it was, it's one of those films that's had a problematic distribution history um, no one seems to have quite been able to squeeze the money out of it that they thought they were going to get out of it, and it's just been tossed from one distributor to another, desperately trying to come up with a, a, a Last House on the Left type title that will kind of grab people. But I think it's best called Pigs, because, you know, it, it is a film about a pig farmer who keeps pigs in his backyard of his little diner sort of uh, restaurant, cafe, and periodically feeds dead bodies to the pigs. He explains that, uh, that this... He, he didn't start this process, it wasn't his fault, and they'd eaten him alive. Uh, but then they developed a taste for human flesh and they wouldn't accept anything else. So what's a guy to do, you know? Let him starve? Can't have that. <laughs> but uh, then the, the story actually really gets underway because it, this isn't a film about one psycho, it's a film about two, which is got an interesting plot line. The other psychotic in the film is this unfortunate girl who experienced incest at the hands of her father, murdered him in a, in a, in a fury, spent some time in a mental hospital having electroshock for her pains, um, and then manages to escape and goes on the run. And chance brings her together with our pig farming nut job. And an unusual May-December semi-romance develops. He has a sympathy for her lunacy. She starts to understand his, and they, they kind of come together. So this is a very odd film about incest, where a girl murders her abusive, incestuous father, goes on the run, and shacks up with a psychopath who uh, takes on a quasi uh, a paternal protective role, played by her real father. Very odd. And apparently the whole point of the film, the reason why Mark Lawrence made it in the first place, was as a kind of a showreel for his daughter as an actress. Mark Lawrence, tragic story. He was a great, great actor. He was one of those people that uh, was n never out of work in the 40s and 50s, playing gangsters. He had a one of, one of those faces that just, you know, he was kind of in the, in the, in the mould of the cabinets of this world, you know. You would want him as your uh, criminal sidekick, you know, just looked the part. Um, worked his way all the way through the, 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 the 40s. And then in the 1950s, he fell foul of the House Un-American Activities Committee and the McCarthy witch hunt. He was questioned about his allegiance to the Communist Party and admitted that he had been a member of the Communist Party at some point in the past. Under who knows what pressure from the McCarthy uh, questioners, he, uh, he, he, he grasped up 
a couple of people that were also members of the Communist Party. Um, I mean, it sounds reprehensible, but uh, as anyone who's looked into that period will know, a lot of innocent people were placed under intolerable pressure at the time. And um, anyway, it, it was the end of his career in America. Uh, he moved to Europe for a while. I think came back in the early 70s or late 60s, uh, and Pigs was his only directorial credit. It's just a very strange little film. It's got a very, very odd mood to it. Rather like The Child, uh, which we were discussing earlier. You can't tell where it's set. It seems to be set in the middle of nowhere, and there's this strange kind of hermetic, isolated feel about the film. Evidently, it's the idea of pigs eating human flesh that's the uh, the shocking element of the film. Um, I doubt... I seriously doubt whether or not the, uh, the the police watched much more than the first few minutes, just probably saw that and thought, it's that kind of film. Rather like Evil Speak, one of the ones that was prosecuted, it was Evil Speak, which had a scene where a woman is eaten by pigs in a shower cube, of course, I seem to remember. Maybe that was already in someone's mind when they thought, here we go again, more flesh-eating pigs. <laughs> you know, that should be the tagline, really, shouldn't it? <laughs> Perhaps the other reason why it attracted the attention of uh, Her Majesty's Constabulary is A, because it's called pigs, and B, because the ad line is pigs eat anything, even evidence. Well, perhaps that was just a little too close to the bone for them, you know. <laughs> Daddy? Daddy, tell me the piggy story again. This little piggy went to market. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy had... He feeds those pigs dead people, and then he eats the pigs. They got used to eating human flesh. I, I gotta do it. Uh, I'm sorry. Me. I don't like pigs touching me. Theater from Cenevid. Rated R. No one under 17 admitted without a parent or guardian. And welcome back, ladies and gents. So, you've just heard the trailer for Pigs, a.k.a. Daddy's Deadly Darling from 1973. Uh, this movie is written and directed by Mark Lawrence um, under the name F.E. Foss. Don't know why they do that. Is it to claim extra money or... So it might be a union thing because he was definitely, I think, union at this point. He'd been working since like the late 40s, I think. Oh, right. <laughs> um, this movie has about 40 different names, by the way, including the 13th pig, which I believe might be how you guys, I think you're yeah, doing a bit the, of reading yeah, on this. Opens with that, doesn't it, in America? Uh, at least the Vinegar Syndrome version that I watched, which had a little thing at the beginning of it that said, this is the most 
it's one of those things where some of the quality of the shots dips where it's stuff that they had to snag from like a weird cut of this yeah and uh the title on yeah mine was the 13th pig yeah, so this one has multiple openings, uh, openings and multiple. Uh, no, I think it's just multiple openings, not multiple endings um, of ways that they try to set up the start of this movie. Um, synopsis for this one is: Lynn Hart is a disturbed young woman who escapes from a mental hospital where she is committed for killing her abusive father who raped her. Stealing a nurse's uniform and car, Lynn ends up in a small California town where she shacks up with Zambrini an old farmer who runs a local motel and roadside cafe. Zambrini also owns a group of pigs that he keeps in a pen behind his house who have somehow, <laughs> I love this, somehow developed a taste for human flesh. When Lynn no be- idea how. <laughs> no idea how that happened. Uh, when Lynn, <laughs> I mean, pigs, what are you going to do with them? Uh, Lynn begins killing a number of men who remind her of her dead father, and Zambrini helps her by disposing the bodies to the pigs. Investigating the disappearances, the local sheriff eventually becomes suspicious of Lynn's past, and a private investigator hired by the hospital to find her slowly close in on Lynn. Um, the movie itself, uh, not a huge cast here, but we have Robert Kerman, uh, who plays Mark Butler, uh, Janet Agron, who plays Sheila Morris, Ivan Razimov, oh, oh, Razimov, as Jonas Melvin. Eh, no, I'm in the wrong movie. This is why. I was about to say, Razimov's like, also in, he's in Eating Alive. Eh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, who the fuck are all these people? <laughs> he's got Lynn Hart. I, I was about to say, Razimov was in this one? Guy, that guy can do fucking anything. Uh, Lynn, <laughs> uh, uh, Tony Lawrence plays Lynn Hart. JC Vint plays Sheriff Dan Cole. Catherine Ross plays Miss Macy. Paul Hickley plays Ben Sharp. Iris Corn, spelt K-O-R-N. Are you ready? <laughs> it plays in it. She's a freak on a leash. She is indeed. Water Barnes uh, as the Doctor. Uh, Holland as Hoagie. William Michael as Deputy. And some other folks in here. Bow Show. Um, synopsis for this one, we've already covered, and it's fairly extensive. That's what happens in this movie, right? So we don't need to really double down on what happens in the movie. That's pretty much the movie premise. I will tell you this, Mark Bomb. I watched this movie the same night, back to back, as I watched Barbarian Sims Studio. I watched Barbarian Sims Studio because I was doing Opera Omnia today, which is a recording I've done just before this. And in that recording, (laughs) I remarked how it was such a terrible idea to do those two movies back to back because the word Sonic Assault came to mind. By God, whoever did sim design for pigs needs slapped in the face and be told to turn it down. Like, there are... I don't know how... Did you listen to... Hopefully you had the volume up on this. See some of the Sims stabs? Went right through my fucking soul. This is a loud... Like pig sounds? Yeah. Like, loud as fuck pig (laughs) Sims. Like, out in nowhere. Spoiler alert. That's what pigs really fucking sound like. My parents have this crazy bitch that lives behind them that raises pigs that are... Uh, this movie's very accurate in its portrayal of what fucking pigs sound like and look like and I can almost smell this movie because I I know what the fucking like pigs pig shit smells awful like Mm -hmm. uh, amongst the animal kingdom they have some of the stinkiest shit that there is and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah those sounds are I agree like they, they cut through you like a fucking knife plus they're so loud in the mix like, so loud in the mix. The sim design across this one is fucking hellish. That being said, though, 
Um, I was surprised by the viewing that I got. This was not the movie I thought I was going to get. I thought this was a movie that was really going to double down and glorify on the, the pigs eating humans sort of thing. And it really doesn't. If anything, it's more a character study about a, a damaged girl who is basically killing people that remind her of her father. Um, and, you know, this older guy who is almost like her surrogate father, which I'm I surprised... I, I imagine that's where the alternate title of Daddy's Deadly Darling comes from and is kind of out to protect her um, and you know, through doing that is facilitating this essentially conveyor belt of, of death um, I didn't mind this if I'm honest I don't think it's necessarily a, this to me feels like a movie of its time this is definitely a pre-Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie for sure um, right. and it has that kind of, I imagine this played very well at kind of outdoor greenhouse theatres um, you know drive-ins and stuff or you know scuzzy sleazy little theatres out there because it has that feel it has that vibe um, It's it feels like a transitional movie for American horror as well like Texas Chainsaw Massacre being the pinnacle of that but the early 70s you start to get this but we're not doing monsters anymore we're doing people or monsters um, yep. sort of thing and it definitely doubles down to that credit to the movie for tackling like giving us a character who is essentially a killer but setting up the thing saying listen she was not only fucking raped but purely abused by her dad and that's what's caused the psychosis not that she's just a like a psycho killer without a motive I, I, I thought they, they did handle that quite well um, and I think the two central characters are actually surprisingly good together on screen Um but it's a weird movie. It's like a really... It's that kind of early 70s weird movie as well where I'm not entirely sure when this was starting if they had an ending in mind. The ending here... I, I got what they were doing with it, but I did feel a bit kind of like, oh, right, so that's what we're doing. Abrupt. Um, did feel a bit abrupt. And it's never kind of clear. It's kind of really ambiguous on who you're supposed to be rooting for. I, I quite like the muddying of the water there, but at the same time, every now and again, I like something that gives me the hook in to, to make me feel sympathetic towards some characters. And at times, this movie lost me on that. What did you What did you make of Pigs? Uh, so I, I got, once again, I got really, really worried when the trauma logo came up at the beginning of this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh no. <laughs> That's a, that like right away led me to believe this movie was going to be a certain kind of movie and uh, holy shit was I fucking surprised at how much I liked this and how this was not at all what I was expecting it to be mm-hmm. and it's it's got some rough stuff like there's there's a lot of cinematography that's like way out of focus and like weird shit going on with that and uh, I don't know if that has to do with like the footage that they had to drag up for this thing basically but um yeah, I really loved this movie, kind of, I think. Mm. And uh, part of it is I went in pretty cold. Like, I remember you reading the synopsis for this last week, but I had completely forgotten about it by the time I got around to watching this. So I didn't realize, like, you know early on that there's something weird going on with Lynn and that she's definitely running from something and she's really secretive and, like, you, you know something's going on, but they really lean into at the like first third of this that uh the the old man Zambrini is like some kind of 
like psycho. I mean, like it, it, it starts off with him like feeding a corpse to the pigs. Yeah. So like right off the bat, we know that at least that's going on, and you get the stuff with the nosy neighbor ladies like complaining to the cops about him and about his pigs and stuff, and like they they really make you think that uh, he's like our villain kind of, and she's like our. Uh, our character, the like, the whole movie was just like, oh my god, get out! This is a horrible situation, and like those two kind of warm up to each other, mm-hmm. like not really in a romantic way, like you said, like more in a like of a father daughter kind of way, which I mean makes sense because uh, Tony Lawrence is Mark Lawrence's daughter, yep. and I think her brother was like a producer on this movie mm-hmm. or something, and uh, yeah, this is. Uh, I think this is only one of two movies that Mark Lawrence directed and it's, it's, it's super angry (laughs) and (laughs) like really, like, like you said, just really scuzzy. And I don't know. I, I I had so many emotions watching this because I I felt like the movie like was going to pull me in one direction. Like, uh, the really like, I think the turning point of this movie is when the oil field worker guy tries to take, uh, Lynn on a date and really it just it it gets it gets a little rapey i honestly like he he basically just takes her to like a dark side of the road kind of deal and tries to fucking have his way with her and Mm -hmm. then it turns into this like kind of she lures him back to the house and then fucking kills him kind of deal and i think that's if you don't know kind of what this is about going in that's when you kind of realize you're like oh no it's it's her she's the one that's like uh kind of gonna be our villain and she's she's not just like damaged from the stuff that like happened to her in the in the past with her dad she's legit dangerous and Mm -hmm. she's like uh even a threat to zambrini who like the rest of the movie has come off as like real threatening and gruff and uh the dangerous one in the duo and then like it kind of just does this weird shift where she gets crazier and crazier and more dangerous and the bodies start piling up and there's lots of throats getting slit and uh the cop like the one cop in town is getting wise to the whole thing so he kind of starts sniffing around a little bit and like it just it just keeps escalating and more and more bodies keep getting fed to these pigs and like she has all these like freak outs in the middle of the desert and uh i yeah man i i was blown away by this movie i think the only thing i don't like about this movie is that theme song that charles bernstein (laughs) wrote which apparently this was definitely way way early i think he was still at like ucla or something uh, he didn't get paid to write the music for this movie. He he got painted. He got paid with a painting that the producer yeah. had done for Fellini of mm-hmm. like a circus thing, but he spelled his name wrong on it, so he never got to give it to Fellini. So Bernstein got paid to do the score with this painting that Fellini had painted. That's that's probably on the the expert thing on the beginning of this yeah (laughs) anyway i i thought that was hilarious that's about the only thing i don't like about this movie is that song is fucking annoying and it plays about six times in this movie um i I think a lot of the rest of the music in this is pretty like spooky especially yeah like you said a lot of stuff mixed with the scary fucking screaming ass loud pig sounds (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like out of fucking no, like every time I was just like, 
Right, just settle by. I was like, oh, you fucking cunt. Like, just like really just hits you. Like, it really, and it is that, it's like, I couldn't live near pigs because the noise that it, go, it, it gets in the, in the bones, Mark. It gets yep. into your bones. Um, yeah, I think that's a. Uh, I'd like doing the, some of the trivia stuff on IMDb. Uh, it did tickle me to see that the original title for the movie was Menu for Murder, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds dirty. Um, yeah. But yeah, loads of different names. Yeah, I, I, there's something there's something about it, and I don't know if it's because I'm currently going through on podcast under the stairs at the moment. I'm going through the Arrow box set, the American Horror Project which is specifically movies from about this time period, these little American movies that played, you know, uh, the, the drive throughs and stuff. And I recently watched um, Malatesta's Carnival of Blood. Um, and it, it kind of, I come, ha- like, come off that movie expecting fucking nothing from it. And I came out high on life. And then, you know, we're a couple of weeks on and I've watched Pigs. And I my brain is just acclimated to... This kind of style of filmmaking, you know, it's kind of low budget. You know, we're going to get in. The movie took eight days to shoot. You know, that this sort of thing. Where, and I appreciated it. It was not the movie that I thought it was going to be. I also will be honest with you. My balls went right up as soon as I read the words trauma. I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it, but then I remember there's a ton of movies that trauma distributed in the seventies that don't feel like trauma movies. Um, at all which like Mother's Day for example Mother's Day is a completely different fucking movie than people think it is um, when you go back you, you watch that movie it is much more a, a kind of really nasty um, sort of psychological slasher movie more than anything else and Troma distributed that you know Troma produced and distributed it so um, you know they did uh, before they got into the here's a giant fountain of Red jism, like for yeah. ten minutes. They did. They they were doing proper exploitation cinema, so you know it's, it it, it kind of alleviated itself of that kind of concern. The more I got into the movie, uh, like I say, the, the sound design just doesn't work for me overall. I, I think it's a technique they use too much in here. I will also double down on you. And uh, first time there was a bit of a novelty with that theme song. After the third time it played, I was like, "Can we build a time machine? Go back and shoot them." Uh, please um, it just it, it, it didn't work for me but like I say it works a lot better because they don't do what you expect the cynical part you just expects a lot of killer pigs all the way throughout this movie and the fact they don't do that and they at least try and create a story centred around one a female killer which is something that wasn't really covered that much back then but actually gave her a proper kind of set up as to why she was doing the things that she was doing I, I appreciate that yeah. because that's grounded. That is way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time um, in terms of how serial killers act. Serial killers tend to act based on an event or something that's impressionable in them at a young age. And the fact that she would go down this road and it's explained that. And her dad, when we finally get to see like kind of flashback sequences of that, is fucking horrific. Um, so yeah, I'm I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It, it, it surprised me. Uh, how much I enjoyed the movie overall because I expected this one to be a, a bit of a shit show if I'm honest um, and it, it holds up it does hold up it, now it's not top tier by any stretch of the imagination but as a movie that didn't have a lot of money was put together all that, when I think about other movies we've discussed thus far 
like I'm going to mention it again, Invasion of the Blood Farmers. Um, yep. And then I look at Pigs. Pigs is a vastly superior movie. Vastly superior movie. I don't yep. think there's that much in it in terms of budget. I think they were made for about the same. So it goes to show that, you know, someone with a, a more vested interest, he clearly had a vested interest because um, he put his house uh, up for mortgage to get the money to make the movie. It's probably why it's... <laughs> so intense he's like this movie has to fucking work or they're taking the house off me um, so yeah I, I mean it, it was it was a it was a pleasant surprise I'll put it that way um, anything else you want to say about pigs before we assign it a grade did you, re- did you read about the, the sad shit about Mark Lawrence getting caught up in uh, McCarthyism like a ways before this was made no uh, yeah, he he was uh, an admitted member of the Communist Party at some point and uh, got coerced into naming some names and had to flee the country for a little while. Oh, shit. Which is heartbreaking. Yeah, that just adds a whole another level of pain because obviously this came out like way, way after the fact that like that and he'd, he'd come back and was making movies and I think I, I think this was shot in Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Quite, that, that, yeah. That just adds a whole a whole nother level. Like <laughs> people tend to make angry, grimy little movies like this when they've got things to be angry about, and I, I would say that counts. Yeah, maybe the pigs stand in for something else. Oh, uh-huh. ooh, interesting, <laughs> interesting. Uh-huh. Let's break the back of this son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, Mark, that we do a very quaint, quirky style of um, of grading over here. Uh, we do them based on assigned sentences delivered from the court. The court of these movies will be judged. <laughs> they shall be judged. Um, no. um, <laughs> I don't know where that came from there. Uh, so um, the harshest grade that we can give out on this show is a hard time. It's like crimes against cinema. Uh, underneath <laughs> that, we have a little bit of uh, community service. So you know what you did pretty bad but you know here's a here's a little warning go away and serve penance to your your uh, community we do a little slap on the wrists which is kind of well you know you know what you did we know what you did you cheeky rascal but but we'll let it fly this time and then we have case dismissed as in we don't know why you're here this is wasting the court's time and the public's money be gone um so with all that in mind where do you come in with uh, a grade for pigs this is a total slap on the wrist for me, I think. Uh, this isn't particularly gory. Uh, it's not like... Uh, it, it really kind of flips like the... Uh, it, it does the opposite of like what the Love Butcher does, where like any like of the... They make you think that there's going to be like some horrible violence against women, and then the the woman in the movie like flips it on its head and like inflicts that violence right back onto the men, mm-hmm. like very in a, a real satisfying kind of way. And I I just think a lot of the violence in this movie is like actually earned, like especially the end where spoiler alert Zamperini gets fucking stabbed in the back, literally and figuratively. Yeah, uh, it, it it serves as a story and doesn't feel especially salacious so yeah this is this is this is a slap on the wrist this is i think pretty tame compared to a lot of stuff at least visually what you're seeing what's implied is pretty fucking gnarly especially feeding bodies to pigs but um it, it doesn't ever get like super gross like another 
fucking movie that we're going to talk about this evening. Uh, <laughs> it's the but, exact uh, opposite of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, the, the, this one's a, this one's a slap on the wrist. I, I, I don't think like I, I, I and I, I didn't really look up the old covers of this either to see if that was maybe why this got a hard think- ban if it has a super gross cover. Yeah, I think the cover did have pigs on it. So I think the chances are... you got to remember, in the, the case of a lot of the Section 3 movies, they didn't even necessarily... In fact, a lot of the Section 2 and 1 movies as well, they didn't necessarily even watch them. If it was implied from a cover that they would turn over and read the description and it said pigs eating humans, it's on that band list. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like straight away... Even though there is not much of that per se in the movie that's enough for them I'm with you it's a slap in the wrist from me I mean the implied stuff in here is fairly gnarly and the implication of even having that in the movie I could imagine probably would have caused distress to people that just weren't used to cinema challenging you but the movie is really more a character study on their relationship Um, and that kind of him really taking the father role upon himself for her even though I mean what their first interaction he basically asks her if she's running from something he can already yeah. tell and you know she says that she's not and he's like are you sure because like he knows like from the beginning so he's sheltering her right from the start so yeah I think overall I it, there's not enough gnarliness in here to knock up any further but I think the content itself and the implied stuff is definitely enough to you know, raise it a little bit here in the slap of the wrist territory. So, uh, yeah, it was a surprising one. Not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. Um, thought it was pretty decent. Um, don't know if I'll ever go back and check it out, if I'm honest. Uh, if I do, I'll make sure that uh, I have watched a very quiet movie beforehand. Because, <laughs> uh, dear God. Um, right, let's let's take ourselves from the, the, the pig pens, so to speak, to uh, <laughs> New Jonestown. Like, like, or, or should I call it Jonestown? Because uh-huh. I'm on Berto Lenzi and I only need to change two letters to make it original. Um, <laughs> dick. What a dick. Uh, we're going to be discussing Eating Alive from 1980. We're going to take a break. You're going to hear those people talk about this movie again. You're going to hear the trailer when we return. We're going to get into our first cannibal movie. <laughs> <laughs> about uh, fucking time and the section 3 list coming right up right after this Eaten Alive or to give it its Italian title Mangiati Vivi was released in UK cinemas by Eagle Films and then later on by Vampix on video in the UK Eaten Alive is based on a tragedy that occurred in November 1978 in Guyana in South America the Reverend Jim Jones had formed a cult uh, and had some 900 people with him and when the American authorities tried to intervene he gave them all poison, including children. So this was a story that had hit the news quite around the world. And of course, filmmakers weren't slow to cash in on the tragedy. First off with the Mexicans, who made Guyana Cult of the Damned, within four months of the tragedy occurring, Stuart Whitman playing the title role. And American television jumped on the bandwagon uh, soon afterwards, uh, making a film of the tragedy starring Powers Booth. And that was called Guyana Tragedy, the story of Jim Jones. Umberto Lenzi was no stranger to the cannibal genre and had directed Deep River Savages back in 1972 in Thailand. The stars of that film were Mimi Lai and Ivan Razumov, who in fact appear in Eaten Alive with 
uh, Razumov playing the, um, the, the Reverend himself. And remarkably, actually, it looks quite similar to pictures of, of the real Jim Jones. Uh, dark, quite handsome, quite saturnine, clearly very charismatic. However, the lead actor is Robert Kerman, better known as Zar Boller, and worked in the American adult film industry. Uh, he had a couple of colleagues with him, actually. Jack Teague from Debbie Does Dallas and Gerald Grant from Radley Metzger's score both appear in the film as well. The leading actresses, Janet Agron. The choice of Janet Agron as the very blonde, rather Scandinavian-looking leading lady is intriguing because she obviously is both uh, a contrast to her sister, played by Paola Senatore, but also from all of the savages. So she's, she brings back those uh, colonial ideas of, of a white woman under threat um, amongst the savages. Lindsay chose to set his film in Maraca in New Guinea rather than Guyana in South America. The actual shooting location was actually Sri Lanka and uh, it's fairly certain to assume that the reason they shot there is the producers Mino Loy and Luciano Martino, a Dania film, had previously shot Prisoner of the Cannibal God uh, in Sri Lanka a couple of years early and the film had uh, been a great success and also uh, made a lot of money again in the Far East. It's important to understand that the main market for these movies wasn't Europe, but in fact the Far East, where extreme gore and uh, sexual violence was less of a cultural taboo than it was in Europe. The scenes of animal cruelty in Eaten Alive are actually very, very hard to stomach. Um, there are a number of scenes that include a, uh, a monkey being crushed by a python with its sad eyes looking at the camera as its head is crushed. There's a baby alligator that, had its, that has its head cut off and is then sliced open from its neck to its tail. There are tribesmen who eat live snakes, live green snakes. The Reverend Genesis cult, in the case of Eaten Alive, seems to be based around the idea of the cobra. And the film does seem to be taking advantage of, of the wealth of snakes available in Sri Lanka and then appears to try and kill as many of them as possible. The violence meted out to the cast in Eaten Alive by a special effects makeup guy Raul Ranieri is pretty excessive. These include a widow who's gang-raped by her husband's three brothers, uh, a native who has his penis chopped off before being stabbed, Ivan Razumov violating Janet Agron with a huge dildo dipped in snake blood, and a native who's macheted and then beheaded. This violence was always going to uh, cause the film trouble with the British censors, but on top of that, the animal cruelty made it an absolute certainty that the film was going to find its way onto the DPP Section 3 list. This is ironic, given that the film had already been passed for theatrical distribution in a cut version, and it's the same cut version that was in fact released on video in the UK. One of the interesting things about Eaten Alive is that not only did Mimi Leigh and Ivan Razumov come over from Deep River Savages, but actually some of the footage from the film is reused in Eaten Alive, specifically the death of the crocodile and the woman being stabbed. And further footage actually comes from Prisoner of the Cannibal God, uh, notably the killing of the monkey by the snake and the castration scene. So a lot of the material that appears to be very controversial in Eaten Alive, that clearly was, was part of its problem for the DPP, was footage that had already been released in other films. Another reason that the film almost certainly fell foul of the DPP was its graphic cover art, which shows the shot of Mimi Lay being uh, attacked by a native and a knife held to her neck. Interestingly, when Cannibal Holocaust was released, uh, the film by Ruggiero Diodato, the cover art included the legend under the film's title, Eaten Alive! Exclamation mark. Two of the leading cast from Eaten Alive, Mimi Lay and Ivan Razumov, actually appear on three titles on the DPP's list. Cannibal, aka Last Cannibal World, Deep River Savages, made by Lindsay, and of course, this one. Take all my wonderful balloons. Enjoy a kiwi with nice
So you've just heard the trailer for Eaten Alive from 1980. This one is written and directed at... Duritten? <laughs> that's what I'm going to use as a term for writer-director. Duritten. 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 It sounds very German. You know what I mean? It sounds like, like a German shoe. You know, you have to put on your Duritten. Um, so I don't even know where I'm going with that. Let's rein it back in. Um, yeah, so written, directed, screenplay, all that jazz done by the late, great Umberto Lenzi. I know what you're thinking to yourself. Duncan, is there close-ups on eyes in this movie? Yes. Yes, there is. <laughs> like, Shit, nowhere. yeah, there is. Like those pig sims that come out of nowhere. Facial zooms, like Lenzi's got your back with that one. Pow, right in the face. Um, this movie stars the right cast this time. Robert Kerman, Janet Agron, Ivan Razumov, uh, Mel Ferrer, Paula Senatori, uh, Mimi Lau, Flama Malignino, which I'm fairly sure you can get as a dessert in an Italian restaurant. Um, Franco, Fantasia uh, and some other folks in here the synopsis for this one is a young woman teams up with a mercenary to find her missing sister in the jungles of New Guinea where they find that a deranged leader of a religious cult has located his commune in an area inhabited by cannibals it's location, location, location Mark starting up your own cult, your own commune make sure it's a safe distance away from the cannibals I mean, it's commune Science 101. Um, yeah, Eaten Alive is the movie he makes directly before he does Ferox in 81. Comes out the same year as Holocaust, 1980. And I'm going to double down on this one. Umberto Lenzi, kind of, in a weird way, Umberto Lenzi, he, he bookends the cannibal genre, right? And uh, he makes the first one, 
uh, way back in 72, 73, can't remember which one, way back there. Um, but he makes the first one, kind of defines a rough template of what the cannibal genre is, and this movie kind of plays half of that and half Holocaust. So we'll get into that, that kind of idea of the kind of swashbuckling adventure. Because that first cannibal movie makes the name is escaping me. I want it to say it's Man from Deep River. Um, that first one is very much a kind of swashbuckling kind of adventure thing where a man accidentally stumbles on. And then the further you get through the 70s, the more we start getting into, well, the white man's done something bad, whether that's stealing things or, you know, wronging the people, desecrating their beliefs or whatever, until you get to Holocaust, where Holocaust is, well, you know, these people have just went right out there, raped, pillaged and plundered uh, in Amazon. And weirdly, Ferox is the kind of full stop. Ferox is such a nasty film. Like, it doesn't have the same kind of uh, social commentary to an extent um, that... Holocaust does that when Fer- Ferox is just all fucking obscene all the time which should have been the name of Umberto Lenzi's biography all obscene all the time the Lenzi story um, you know, and, and then after that it was a good couple of years before they started making cannibal movies again and when they came back they were very much not like they had been before he almost pushed it to the excess of where it could go and what's interesting is the year before Ferox he does this movie, and it's like a combination of the two. So you're getting the gnarly cannibal stuff, you're getting the animal stuff, which didn't come until much later on, um, and then you're also getting that swashbuckling side, which is pretty much gone by the time we hit Ferox. You know, that part is such a small, small detail. Um, what's interesting as well is what they do here is they use the, like I say, the same score, which... Um, because <laughs> I don't know why I clearly just cannot be fucking bothered he probably shot these back to back as well which wouldn't surprise me either he always said that Cannibal Holocaust hadn't influenced Cannibal Ferox which is a fucking lie <laughs> like I've seen both movies and yes the, yeah, you, don't you start with me don't you start with me Lindsay <laughs> you know what you did but like I say it's, I don't think it's fair necessarily to lump him in as a well you know Lenzi just did what other people did. In the, in the case of this one, Lenzi was making, we're being honest, Lenzi was making Jallos before Jallos were being like popular. He was making them in the like, late 60s before Argento got his hands on them. He was making cannibal movies before cannibal movies were being made. He was doing police procedurals before police, police procedural stuff was all that popular as well. He, he was a really fucking good director. He's just become the punchline of a few jokes. I'm just going to say right. eating alive doesn't do much to help his reputation. Um, oh man, I was doing voiceovers while I was watching this movie and I about pissed myself twice. Um, like genuinely to the point where I had to stop the movie and contain myself for laughing. Um, <laughs> at, at some scenes where I was just like, that's what should have been it. I should do a commentary for this movie. Uh, they should have me on a disc doing a commentary for this movie. <laughs> it would be fucking hilarious. Um, essentially, the story is as it's described here. We have this woman who's brought into a police department after just a, like a tribesman has run around a Christmassy New York City just blow darting people to death. It's fucking amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, like a James Bond movie or something for the first like couple of this. Yeah. Like, it's just like it's, it's Odd Job's brother or something yeah. that fucking. Every time he came around the corner, I expected to hear. He's literally just like. Like, oh, fuck. Like, just in front of people. And this is clearly <laughs> Lindsay guerrilla filmmaking as well. 
Oh, which, they stole every one of those shots, I guarantee you. Which is fucking amazing, because, like, my favourite one is not, like, the wee guy blow-darting folk on the streets, which, if I'll be honest, right, it's New York, you probably just, oh, someone filming something, but it's the insanely rude man that just keeps pushing old women out the way, walking through crowds, just, like, fucking yep. out the way like this, and uh, you can see their reactions, like, what's he doing, like, what, like walking like the fucking Terminator, like, towards the camera in every single shot, and they do this, like, to... Lindsay wants to make sure that you know that he's in a hurry as well because he uses about seven shots of this guy just fucking people in the face out the way. Uh, like, <laughs> out the way, like, this guy's in a hurry somewhere to be shot in front of a Santa. Um, but, like, so... It's, uh, the thing is, it adds fucking nothing to the story. Like, nah. nothing to the story here because this is... It, maybe it gets the police interested in one thing which randomly gets some... To this young woman here, uh, played by Janet Agron, who um, essentially she's brought in, she speaks to the police uh, about her missing sister. They seem to reckon that she may have ended up in, you know, involved with some weird thing. Because this guy's walking around with a film, her, like, undeveloped film with her name on it. So that's what I, don't, I mean. When you start to pick apart this movie, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so, like, a tribesman just randomly appears in New York, killing people randomly with a blow dart, um, whilst holding film that needs to be developed. I don't know if he was doing that in between. Right, I, I need to blow dart these three people here, then get these photos in to develop. See if they'll do it in 24 hours. Go and pick them back up tomorrow. Get my dry clean and blow dart four more people. Um, <laughs> Make sure I get that recipe for that Reuben sandwich, uh, which I can get at Cat's Deli. You know, it's all this, like, uh, taking a show on Broadway, uh, you know, like, it's like fucking just absolute nonsense. But she she goes away, she speaks to a couple of professors, uh, or a professor, who, Professor Carter, um, who is shite at his job. Uh, he's, like, maybe one of my favourite like bit characters in the history of cinema because like that it's, it reminds me of one of two things either the sacrifices they do here or the sacrifices they do there and those countries are not even remotely near each other and no. he's just like it's like really like, so they go off to hunt down this is the bit where I almost wet myself they go off to speak to the woman down down at the, the underneath the bridge oh, yeah. yeah oh man <laughs> dude dude this is the, like Tears rolling at my eyes, stomach sore and in cramps from laughing. They go down to speak to her and she's all defaced, like on her chest, she'd been burned and all the rest. Because she got involved with Jonas, this guy, Jonas Melvin, which is the greatest name ever for a fucking cult leader. <laughs> Jonas Melvin, that's his surname. It instantly put me off. It should be like Jonas. Ten foot cock or something, you know, like like a name that like Jonas the Shagger. You're going to join Jonas the Shagger's cult, um, but like anything but Jonas Melvin. And um, she goes in this big thing, you know, he uses people. He does this. Look what he did to my chest. So we get a couple of zoom in shots on the the chebs. Uh, look at look what he did here. And then out of nowhere, this pimp comes along, fucking slaps the shit out of this woman right in the face, and. Professor Carter's like, yes, we've got all we need to know from this woman, let's go. Which I read as code for, you know, <laughs> when the pimp hits the hole, it's time to go. You know, like, <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. I, That's Mark, pretty much what they do. I was about pissing myself. And no one seems, this is the great thing about this movie, is no one is concerned about anything that's happening around them. Out with the initial, 
then after that it's like well this is normal but like a piss in my honestly my, I, I, like, I couldn't breathe thought this was hilarious and um, Sheila ends up on a plane travelling over to um, she goes across to where is it New Guinea and um, meets a <laughs> meets a mercenary there who in kind of Rambo 3 style is doing arm wrestling over a blade <laughs> oh yeah that scene was fucking nuts Oh my shit, she employs this guy with the promise of a lot of money. Um, and this guy just seems to go with it. And then they ultimately end up out at, uh, <laughs> at the, the commune by way of many animal murders and maybe a great scene where they're in the canoe and they're going along. And then this, they're like, oh, there's an alligator way over there. And then two seconds later, this guy's bitten. And then he's... <laughs> He's in the water, his fucking arm's being ripped off, and uh, there's a wee man going, No! <laughs> Camera panned on him. It's just fucking stupid. This movie has not to the level of Holocaust or Ferox and a you know, an uncomfortable amount of animal death. Um most of it is they do the kind of I was gonna say cop out animal death, but I don't like animal death at all. Where they're actually filming wild wildlife scenes. Uh, and, and some descriptions where one animal is eating another animal. Now, some of that has been staged, uh, clearly. Um, it's got that Mondo feel to it. Like it it's does. like a gruesome National Geographic episode or something. Yeah, pretty much. She ends up out and finds her sister at Jonas's camp. Um, and Jonas is what I like to call a real Jim Jones, no relation, um, in that he's relocated his, his cult out to a different place and of course Sheila comes finally face to face with her sister uh, played by I think that's Paola Senatori um, who (laughs) where these two grew up I don't know because Sheila has a kind of main American accent you know kind of what I call a fairly neutral American accent where Diana has a good old fashioned southern belle she's like (laughs) Well, frankly, I don't know how I ended up here, Sheila. Um, and I was like, you you didn't grow up in the same house. You've got completely different accents. Um, yeah. And then we go through a lot of shit, right? This is the, the, the painstaking shit of this movie of, well, it's a cult and they have to do certain things. And this guy keeps reading from his version of the Bible, just the same verse over and over again, which gets a bit irritating. Um, and then ultimately, we're going to do what every cannibal movie does, which is the inevitable break away, the escape. Uh, but the cannibals are out there and you need to take your chances with the, the cannibals and a whole lot of fufara and then they end up back where they began um, and you know police investigations and one of my favourite things <laughs> from that well, my sister died and all the rest of the guys are like well listen you can't go public with this story because of the political and economic issues and she's like do you want to elaborate he's like I can't say any more political and economic issues <laughs> and then he's like case closed and he walks out and she's like well I will go public with this I don't care about your political and economic issues I'm like we're seeing politics and economy too much in this this bit here I mean, the fucking drop the could, words have lost all meaning they have because they mean fucking nothing like literally like you know like this guy just like I'll see you later and he walks out and um, she's lost her her sister she's Bankrupt. Could we find that all her money's gone? All her family's money's gone. Um, 
And then she's laughing with this mercenary who's tearing up the cheque. <laughs> how well, how is she going to claim your expenses? Well, I don't know. <laughs> throw the thing at the, you know, throw the paper at the window, and then you've been watching Eat the Lad. I'm like, what are we fucking? What happy ever after? And like, and Jonas has escaped. I thought we were going to get a Jonas sequel. I thought Eaten Alive to the Jonasing, um, like, because he escapes. So, like, basically, his su- his cult suicides himself because Jones Tim, um, and the, he, there is a bit where he literally takes a glass of something up to a kid, drink this, um, and they're all fucking stabbing each other and slitting each other's throats. But there's Kool Aid being passed around, and just the movie finished and. Mark, I'll be honest with you, the first time I watched this movie, I did not like it at all. I didn't like it. I thought it was... And I don't like... I don't... I can't say that I really like Ferox. I have time for Ferox, even though I'm fully aware it is a fucking nasty, nasty movie. Really, really nasty. But there's part of me that enjoys some of the nastiness in there. Not the animal violence. I stress that. Watching this movie... The first time, I didn't like all the kind of, we're in New York, now we're travelling across the world, and now we're invading the camp, and now we're, you know, we're, we're trying to make, we're, we're under Jonas's cult spell and all the rest. I didn't really like that. I wanted my cannibal movie, right? That's what I wanted, of which we get bits, but it's mostly at the end of this movie. Um, this time watching it, I found this entertaining as fuck for all the stuff that I didn't used to like about this movie. Uh, it's all the nonsense. This movie is a big huge mess of nonsense and it is entertaining nonsense it just so happens there's some unpleasant stuff in here for sure women are treated fucking horrifically um, it's an Italian movie after all uh, the the cannibal scenes are needlessly graphic uh, for, for the sake of what they're doing uh, and like I say the animal violence ain't cool at all but is dumbly put together and beautifully shot for, for everything we want to say about Lindsay. Lindsay shoots the shit out of this movie. It looks like a fucking ton of money was spent on it when we know there wasn't. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I found it weirdly fucking entertaining. Weirdly, weirdly entertaining. Um, you'd never seen it before and I've talked quite a bit now so I'm going to shut the fuck up. Um, what did you make of Eating Alive? I kind of hated it. <laughs> Mostly because of the animal violence and the fucking, like, super gratuitous graphic, like, rape scenes and just awful fucking shit that, yeah, like you said, happens to the women in this movie, I thought was fucking reprehensible. And this is maybe the worst thing in that regard that we've watched on this show so far since I've been on. Mm -hmm. Uh, like th- this is this is getting one fucking hell of a sentence at the end the end of this review from this guy because yeah this one broke a lot of fucking lot of rules uh, which I I kind of knew it was going to going in I mean that's the whole fucking thing with these cannibal movies and this is what people that liked these those weird sick fucks back in the day uh, they the, they go to these things for this they want to see like really gnarly shit and there was like a huge appeal to this these kind of movies back in the day like uh it's it's the 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 faraway savage lads that haven't been tamed by modern man yet and like there's just this whole there was this whole allure and appeal to these kind of movies and they and they ended up making like a bazillion of them and 
there's even like weird like I I would almost say there's like weird subgenres within the cannibal movies themselves. Like you've got these like uh like like Ferox and Holocaust kind of movies, and then there's like the Mondo movies that like don't even have a story and are like essentially faces of death movies only like yep. primarily about uh like primitive cultures and stuff like this kind of and uh it's all really weird and icky and gross to look through with like with twenty twenty eyes. It's all super fucking racist uh and there, there, there's there's all kinds of racism in this movie like the like you said the fucking the pimp that pops out at the beginning the the main chick has an awful fucking horrible line when they're first uh riding in the helicopter out to the island or whatever when the, the he he asks her like what she's been doing or whatever and she's been running her father's cotton farm. Yeah. And she has a really, really gross fucking line that I'm not going to fucking repeat here, mm-hmm. there. And I was just like, it just comes out of nowhere. And then they don't really touch on it. It's just like how casual that, like, really gross fucking racism came out really rubbed me the wrong way, like, mm-hmm. early on in this movie. And, um, yeah, that doesn't, and that doesn't even really, like, get into, like, the, 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 the real deep racism of like why these movies are a thing and like just how it looks at like native cultures and it's like oh they're all fucking savages and cannibals and rapists and stuff and it's I I think it's genuinely kind of a damaging thing to do uh, to to make these movies kind of and I they I'm sure they weren't fucking hip to all this back in the day and these were very much cheap thrills for people to go see at the fucking grindhouse movie and. Uh, the, these wouldn't exist like a short time afterwards. Like once, like oh no, uh, no, no, M- no. <laughs> MPAA started being more of a thing, and obviously, like I, I think the the video nasties thing in the UK kind of put a stop to. I mean, they were probably still making these, but they made it way way harder for you to make money off of these because the tapes were getting seized and they weren't being shown in theaters like probably hardly at all yeah they stripped uh, so out mo- like most of your animal violence has gone um most of the like the the kickback i think green inferno 2 is um is like 1985 and that's when they kind of try and so like a couple of years after ferox they try and bring them back so the italian cinema industry tries to do a couple more and you get like two or three um, Amazonia as well, like the movies like that that come out where they are just not nearly as viscerally aggressive as these movies here, and they just don't have an audience anymore. That's what I'm saying. Like, Ferox almost is the most extreme example that I think when people watched that, they were just like, right, I'm done. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I can't watch another one of these movies, and the, the, the kind of for better or for worse, I would probably argue for better. Um, you know the 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 style of filmmaking just couldn't it couldn't they couldn't do it anymore and there wasn't and it wasn't even that they couldn't they just would not get distribution for it at all so you have to make compromises so they tend to go back to that swashbuckling kind of weirdly like romancing the stone like styled stories with the with the cannibals in the background as opposed to having them like essentially the, the last. 10 minutes of this movie people are getting ripped apart and eaten <laughs> like so it's um it's, it, it goes so far the other way uh, you almost have to sicken people of something in order to or show it at, at its most vulgar to put people off it and I think this movie is certainly a stepping stone to that for sure um in a world where cannibal holocaust doesn't exist I don't think Ferox is as vulgar as it is 
at all. I think Lindsay almost felt like he had to outdo it, uh, which is what he does. Um, and Diodato had done uh, cannibal movies before making Cannibal Ferox, and it feels like for whatever reason, Ferox was the one that he really wanted to push the boundary out. Uh, sorry, Holocaust was the one that he really wanted to push the boundary out as well. So it, it's right. a, it's almost the genre itself is a weird fucked up one-upmanship. And the only thing I can liken it to is torture porn. Like when torture porn started, when Saul first kind of come out and Hostel started coming out, every movie maker that was wanting to do something savagely torture porn esque was, well, how do we outdo the previous? Like Saw as a franchise that tries to outdo the vulgarity and violence that you've seen in the previous movie. Every movie, right? Um, and but you get a whole genre that does that as well. Ain't many other genres that are like that. And slasher movies, the most you'll get is maybe a different utensil used to kill someone, a different mask, uh, a unique kill, but it's never to the point of like trying to up, you know, the body counts never get upped unless they're in sequels, otherwise it'd be fucking like a, like a small you know, genocide massacre by the time you get to like the seventh slasher movie in the 80s, but other ones as well, like ghost movies, like all, all those sorts of movies never feel the need to one up on the level of vulgarity and violence like cannibal movies do. Um, and I, there's something about that I don't think I don't necessarily think you're wrong Mark I think there's a lack of understanding specifically here from how Italians one how Italians view Americans which is pretty much the same way Italians view the rest of the world Italy is a I love Italy right? I really really do and I don't think I have any Italian listeners and I love their cinema but it is a weird time bubble for mostly sexist, homophobic, um, and racist sort of opinion. It's a weird time capsule for that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and and these movies in particular are the most egregious examples of that. Like really, it's it, it's a like Lindsay himself in interviews hated talking about cannibal movies. He didn't like them. He didn't like doing them when he did them. Um, he didn't like all the credit he got for making them and he fucking hated speaking about them. Like, absolutely hated speaking about them and I don't know if part of that is shame um, because... Uh, maybe. Through today's lens, they don't age well at all and didn't age well even a decade after they were made, let alone 30 years after they were made. Or if part of that is that they see the filmmaking, the schlocky filmmaking, and they like to be remembered for... Well, it's like Fulci. Like, Fulci's, like some, like Fulci's favourite movies are not the ones... Personally, his favourite movies are not the ones that are most notably assigned to his name at all. All the gore stuff and, like, all those movies that he did. He didn't really... He was more interested in the more kind of insular, darker stories that he told that didn't have all the gore and all the stuff that we all love um, and it's interesting to see that but it was a rite of passage there were very few of those directors got through the the 70s without making a a cannibal movie it was just a case of you know right you've done your police movie you've done your giallo here's your cannibal movie go off and fucking make it um, and they've all got well, them. And like you said, they they were hot back then too. That, huge. that was like the hot thing to do was the the cannibal movies. People were eating this shit up back then. It was it was like I said, I think it was a, a cheap thrills kind of thing. It totally. was like a water cooler kind of deal. Oh, did you see this fucking awful ass movie? They they were like killing actual animals and shitting it. And yeah, it's like a whole. I'm sure it was a whole word of mouth kind of thing, and it just like spreads like wildfire. The stories about. Like when like Jallo kicks it off fully, right? 
but there are stories like 1971, 1972 at the highlights. So this is before the cannibal stuff kicks off in 73. There are stories that on any day in Rome, you could go out for a night out with your partner uh, for a meal and go see a movie. And there was four, five Jalo titles available for you that week. And two weeks later, there was a brand new four or five Jalo movies. Um, that's how quick the industry was building them and they built this huge all eyes became fixated on Italy and they like when Jal ran its course they needed to do other things so the police procedural stuff comes out very quickly so they emulate the kind of Dirty Harry movies and all the rest they start doing their version of them in Italy but then the cannibal movies also become popular and then they start doing the zombie stuff ripping off Romero and then the zombie movies become popular and it was like this constant chain of we need to we need to put out new stuff we need to put out different stuff we need to keep delivering all this stuff as quick as possible and as soon as they stop selling right what's the next thing what's the next thing um, and Eating Alive feels very much like the product of a weird kind of one-upmanship between Diodato and, and Lenzi um, right. but this one still weirdly has that kind of there is a story here it's a shit story and it's based on true like true events to the extent of there is a Jim Jones-esque character here um, and you know we're, we're going to weirdly ground it but that that's his way of trying to ground it into reality whereas you know like the, the holocaust version of that is the you know well who are the real monsters you know, like at the end of that movie. So, but is it like you're not like you? Weirdly, you're coming in where I was on my first watch. When I'm like, oh, this does not fucking <laughs> like. And I've watched it. I've watched it the second time, and the second time I watched it, I'm like, ah, oh, this is just nuts. All this crazy shit and all the rest. Uh, and I haven't doubled down on the stuff that's really problematic. Of which this movie is riddled. <laughs> It's full of problematic shit from start to finish. Well, I, I will say I, I, I did really dig the music in this. I, I love these old Italian scores that are just like a lot of the time really oddly placed in the movies. Like I think the most famous example is drinking cocoa in Cannibal Holocaust, <laughs> which is just this awesome, like upbeat kind of disco song. And it's in like one of the most fucked up movies ever made. Uh, there, there was a lot of that, those kind of vibes in this movie. And I, I was legit impressed with a lot of the makeup effects in this. Like, they really, like, were doing some crazy shit in a lot of these movies as far as makeup effects, to the point where, like, yeah, like they, they had to prove that the shit wasn't real for Cannibal Holocaust. And uh, I, the, this one's not quite on that level, like, in that and a lot of other respects. But, uh, yeah, I was really impressed with the, how gory this was and just some of the, like, camera trickery that they pulled off to make it look like a lot worse stuff was happening than it was um yeah i i, re- I really think I, I i think my main problems with this is yeah just a lot of the the, the problematic shit like you said uh, i i think i i think i'd probably be a little bit more on board with like an animal cruelty free version of this like they do with cannibal holocaust i think that would help out a little bit because it just it, it, especially nowadays, there's I just there's no fucking reason that it's in there, uh, and yeah. like I get the whole thing like with Cannibal Holocaust where they're like, well, it makes the rest of the violence seem more real, and it's like you know that's true and all, but like I mean I think you could have pulled it off without that fucking shit in there, and it's just 
it's there for cheap thrills and it's incredibly fucking salacious and uh, it had me yelling at the fucking TV yesterday. I was just like, fuck you, movie. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, I, I do kind of, on a base level, really kind of fucking hate this movie, but um, I don't I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be, like, the worst thing we end up watching for this show. I know there's one other one yeah. coming up that I think is more along the lines of, like, the Mondo stuff, like I was saying, mm-hmm. uh, which I think I, me- I might hate more because it's, like, more, more gross, violent, fucking racist shit for even less reason. Like, like you said, this one at least, like, tries to have a story... And it is kind of about how fucked up white man is and colonization is. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff in in this movie. And yeah, I have a real bad feeling. I think the other cannibal movie we have for this list is (laughs) not going to have have any of that. (laughs) Um, So so weird facts about the movie. Um, Out with So the only animal death sequence that was shot for this movie uh, is the snake kill that Razumov does so Jonas does uh, everything else oh, okay. is archival footage that had been shot for other movies uh, Sacrifice in 1972 Jungle Holocaust in 1977 and Slave of the Cannibal God in 1978 right so once again though you're still using archival footage which to me means someone killed an animal and then that wasn't used in that movie which that in itself is fucking horrific um, yeah yeah I don't, I don't know if I like that um but so so that's probably worth taking into account. But also the the guys who scored the movie star in the movie, and then that score is once again used when they kind of toopy over to to Cannibal Ferox. So just bring that over as well. Um, I don't think you're wrong. I actually think overall, because we don't do like movie grades here, uh, I think we might come down in similar places. You might be wondering to yourself, though, listeners out there, long-time listeners of uh, Doing the Nasty, wait one second, Duncan, there's a lot of animal violence, there's a lot of death, um, and this movie wasn't on the Tier 1 or Tier 2 list, but somehow made it on the Tier 3 list when we know for a fact Ferox um, and, you know, Holocaust and other movies, (laughs) like, like other movies where... There, you know, it's cannibal shit, but not as vicious as this. Made it on that list. How could that be the case? Well, my limited research that I did uh, for this one showed that apparently, eaten alive when released in the UK for its like distribution was heavily fucking cut in advance. So most of this shit wasn't in the movie. So uh, that's how it coasted through. So I think someone actually did watch this movie and realised that it maybe wasn't as graphic as some of the other ones that were out, so it became like a lesser cannibal movie, and thus kind of sashayed itself down to the tier 3 list, I suppose. It's the pure hypocrisy of these lists to begin with, because they're all fucking subjective, so uh, it never made its way on because most of it had been cut. Um, That, I mean, we've watched the the version that you can see now, which is the uncut version, so (laughs) that's how we're grading it. Uh, Mark, same grades as before, um... I don't think I'm going to be surprised with this one. Uh, what are you going to give Eaten Alive? Yeah, that, that's interesting what you said about how yeah, it was probably the edited version that they watched originally. Because mm-hmm. yeah, the, 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 the one I watched, at least, uh, is the cut put out by Severin. It's, it's on Tubi, and it's got commercials in it, but it's totally, totally fucking uncut. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm fucking throwing the book at this one and giving it a hard time, and I do really think the the uncut version of this is absolutely a tier fucking one movie. This is uh, this goes way beyond a lot of shit we've watched for this this show so far. Like this is uh, uh, this guy's this guy's in the lead for I think the most <laughs> fucked up movie we've watched for this. Uh, like this this even outdoes the Love Butcher, yeah. which like <clears throat> made me fucking physically nauseous with how gross and misogynistic it was like this is uh this is that and a whole lot more so yeah i'm giving this bitch hard time um yeah i'm way this is a hard this is the definition of a hard time movie it is not like i say they've got a bit of a story in here but the animal violence the you know the rape and all the rest that is in this movie is you know it's not as bad as cannibal holocaust but it is fucking shot so i mean <laughs> it is in this movie just because they, they don't have the same... Like, Holocaust doesn't necessarily... Like, up things far too much on how it's actually shot. It's just with everything else going on in that movie, you're hyper-acutely aware of what's happening, and that's what makes the impact. the kind of genius you can use that for that movie. But yeah, you've got everything ticking the box here. We have rape. We have cannibalism. We have racism. We have male and female violence, we have death, we have suicidal cults, we have, you know, the list, animal violence, the list goes on and on. If there was ever gonna be a need to use the term hard time, Eating Alive is the movie that gets it, oh show. Um, so yeah, and I, I 100% with you, this is a tier one movie uncut, in my opinion. <laughs> like, it sits, it sits alongside you know, maybe not up there as as the most extreme that the the list prosecuted, but Eating Alive's definitely there. There's no way it's not. Um, very shocking because like, remember when I said, "Oh, Eating Alive," and then I was thinking back to it, I was like, "This is the one he did before Ferrex," and I'm like, "I'm sure that movie's gnarly." And then I sat there and watched. It, I was like, "This movie is fucking gnarly." So yeah, I am I am with you 100%. Eating Alive. It'll be interesting to see if anything kind of tops. That in just terms of, pu- I'm sure there's stuff on this list that will, uh, and there's stuff that will be absolutely nowhere near this, which once again reveals the hypocrisy of creating a list to begin with. Um, yep. So, okay, as I was done with these two movies, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I will be telling you uh, the movies that we'll be covering on the next episode right after promos for shows that we love. We'll be right back right after this. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, cure what ails you. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, Dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. And welcome back. So you've been listening to Doing the Nasty. This has been season two, episode number 10. We have looked at pigs from 1973 and a little bit of eating alive from 1980. 
Mark, oh, let's put it all behind us. All that nastiness is now behind us. Now behind us. No more cannibals for a bit. <laughs> let's put it behind us. Let's put it behind us. And turn our attention to where we're going for episode number 11, dropping next month. Uh, we have two completely different fucking movies. Uh, very, very, very excited. We're returning back to 1973, though, uh, the year of the pigs, uh, to do The Demons from 1973, Directed by Clifford Brown, or as we know him, wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge, <laughs> Jess fucking Franco. Dear God. Uh, this uh, one has back. This one has sexy nuns doing sexy nun things to sexy nuns. Uh, and it's almost two hours long. This is actually... Thank re- God. This is one of the better oh. Francos, so you're going you're gonna to have a ball with this one. Um, I believe this one is heavily inspired by The Devils as well, so... Uh, the Ken Russell movie the which probably makes sense The Devils The Demons I see what you're doing Jess Franco um, the synopsis for this one is a group of nuns become possessed by demons and are then tortured in a dungeon of horrors during the Inquisition so good times <laughs> hashtag good Sounds times hot. Sims hot yeah the cover artwork on IMDB <laughs> is very hot because it looks like one, nu- one woman's about to muff another nun and I'm down with that. She should do that. <laughs> um, yes. In a movie that doesn't contain nuns at all, but um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where I'm going with this. Retract that statement before I say it. <laughs> um, the other movie we'll be discussing is Prom Night from 1980, directed by Paul Lynch. Uh, the synopsis for this slasher is a high school se- uh, high school senior prom a mass killer stalks four teenagers who are responsible for the accidental death of a classmate six years previously I have not seen prom night in forever absolute forever yeah same I cannot fucking wait to revisit this uh, so we have sexy possessed tortured nuns uh, doing the Jess Franco thing There'll be whips. There will be whips. I'm telling you somewhere in that movie, someone will get whipped. If someone's wearing a gimp mask, I will be happy. Uh, And uh, in Prom Night, which in the front cover of this looks like someone's wearing a gimp mask. Um, So, And in Prom Night, a bit of an old school slasher. Um, So yeah, that's that's where we're going. Very excited about this. Uh, Hopefully you are as well, Mark. Absolutely, yeah. It's a fucking whipping nuns. Yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll be back now that we're back on track and back on schedule. We'll be back at the end of November with your episode covering these two movies. And then, like I teased before, and I'm very, very, very excited about, um, we'll be closing out this year uh, with Deep Red and The Prowler, which that is a double bill. If that don't get your dick rock fucking hard, then... Um, get Viagra <laughs> I mean that might help uh, or Blue Chew which is a thing that keeps appearing on podcasts I listen to now which just seems disgusting I mean it does apparently it's a chewable Viagra however if you work for Blue Chew and you want a podcast to sponsor you one by the name of Doing the Nasty might be the right one for you <laughs> just saying a marriage made in heaven uh, yes. we'll, we'll hawk your boner pills yeah we will indeed of course, I don't need them, Mark. You don't need them either, but we will take them. We'll sell, we'll sell them to dudes that do need them, yep. I guess. Dudes that just don't have the kinks that we have. Uh, right, we will be back in one month's time. Mark, before we do, though, you've got places and things that do things that people should go and check out. Uh, hawk your wear, sir. 
Uh, check me out on the Instagrams. That's fancy underscore Mark. I've been, uh, get, I've had quite a few new followers. I was trying to reach 2000 by the end of the year, but I think I'm at like 1200 or something. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, follow me on the Twitter. I do all kinds of crazy shit there and, and end up regretting a lot of it later and deleting it. But, uh, <laughs> that's at the fancy Mark. Uh, just had an episode of the Psycho Semantic podcast come out with Darren. Uh, we did wag the dog, uh, cause our fucking election, uh, yeah, this, this will be coming out like a couple days before our election. So, uh, yeah, I'll just say that to our, our American listeners. If you don't want a bunch of crazy fucking religious people uh, along the lines of Mary Whitehouse and our government, get out and fucking vote on the 3rd if you haven't already. Please, for the love of God, I can't deal with four more fucking years of this bullshit. Please, for the love of Christ, go fucking vote. Uh, and I'll, 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 I'll leave us at that. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Uh, right, ladies and gents, back in one month's time, but until then, take care. We'll speak to you next time. They were called nasties, and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, Mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film.